Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verses 8b through 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good afternoon. If we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Exilic. And if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, we are devoting this entire summer uh, to a sermon series on the most famous prayer ever uttered, and that is the Lord's Prayer. Now, why are we devoting our entire summer to this series? Well, prayer in many ways is like texting. Texting is one of the primary ways that we communicate with other people today. And similarly, prayer is the primary way we communicate with God. And if you want to have a healthy relationship with anyone, you need to have healthy lines of communication. And similarly, if we want to have a robust, healthy relationship with God, we need to have healthy lines of communication or a healthy prayer life. Now, I am very, very aware that when it comes to the topic of prayer, that I am fighting an uphill battle. And I know that because when I take a look at my own prayer life, it is a struggle and an uphill battle. And it is only exasperated by the fact that when we do pray, we're speaking to a God who is invisible. And it's never fun just talking to a blank wall. It's only exasperated by the fact that when we do pray to God, it is much more of a monologue than a dialogue. It's not as though God audibly speaks back to us when we pray. And it's only exasperated by the fact that the pragmatic part of us appeals to the fact that when we do pray, oftentimes it simply just does not work. James chapter four says, you do not have because you do not ask. But what if we do ask and we still do not have. What's the point of praying then? And yet when you take a look at the word pray in the Bible, it appears over 375 times in the Bible, which means that prayer is not merely a footnote in the Bible, but it is a part of the main corpus of the Bible. And similarly, prayer should not just be a mere footnote in our life, but it should be a part of the main corpus of our life, a part of our rhythm and our routine. And so prayer is not just an emergency flare that we throw up into the air whenever we desperately need help or when we dial 911, whenever there's an emergency. But prayer should be like texting, often and frequent. And there is no better way to study or learn how to pray than by studying the man Jesus himself, who seemingly did not need to pray, and yet he prayed the most. So when one of his disciples asked him, teacher, how should we pray? he utters the Lord's Prayer. And so every week we're taking a look at one phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And today we're looking at the phrase, give us today our daily bread. And what I would like to do is to take a look at three words in this phrase. Number one, bread. Number two, daily. And number three, give. So first the word uh, bread. 
In the first century world, bread was the staple of everyone's diet. You needed to eat bread to live. In other words, bread was a necessity, it was not a luxury. And so when we say, give us today our daily bread, we're praying for the necessities that we need in this life to live. So bread, uh, food, water, shelter, clothing, money, etc. We're not praying for mansions and Maseratis. We're praying for the things that we need in order to live. Now here is the question. How does this apply to us as modern Western Americans who are educated, accomplished, successful, ambitious, who have everything that we need? This prayer might apply to those other people in those other parts of the world that don't have food, water, shelter, clothing, money. But how does this prayer apply to us? And a part of the reason why this is such a challenge for us to actually pray is because if we're hungry, we just go to Whole Foods, buy a rack of ribs, already cleaned, cut, wrapped. If we need shelter or an apartment, we just jump on street easy. Um, if, if we need anything, we can find it uh, at our disposal without really any problem at all. If we want to cook or clean, all we have to do is just turn on the faucet and water comes out. It's very simple to us. And so how does this prayer even apply to us? Should we even pray it? And my simple answer is yes, we should. For starters, there are people even in our own community with multiple degrees who are unemployed and don't have a job. And having a job is something that we need to survive, a form of daily bread. Even in our own community, there are people that need money to pay for rent, tuition, and outstanding medical bills, a form of daily bread. And so even in our own community, there are people that need certain things to live. Uh, if you take a look on the first page of your bulletin, I want to read you something from Lauren Larkin, where she talks about this phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And she says, the very things that we often think to be too below him, bills, food, drink, day in, day out realities, are given real and surprising status. Our God is the God of nitty gritty, day to day, demanding, mundane, unexcited realities. God is quite aware care for the soul does not fill our bellies, bread does. To live, we need to eat and drink. And so the point of this prayer is that God not only cares about the spiritual aspects of our lives, but he also cares very much about the tangible, physical things that we need to live, okay? Now you might be thinking, well, the categories that you mentioned about being unemployed, outstanding bills, tuition, that still doesn't apply to me. I have a job, I have money in my savings, do I still need to pray this prayer? And I still say to you, submit to you, yes. Because when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're not only asking for something, we're also acknowledging when we pray this prayer that God is the one that provides for all of our needs. I'll give you an example for this. There was once a scientist who was having a conversation with God. And he said to God, God, we can now do everything you can do. Your services were needed for a time, but your services are no longer required. And the scientist hears a boom from the heavens. And God speaks to the scientist and he says to him, you can do everything I can do? And the scientist says everything. And so God says, very well, let me see you make a human being from the dust in the ground. And the scientist says, no problem. So he rolls up his sleeves, digs his hand into the dirt, and God says, uh, 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 get your own dirt. You see, even the dust on the ground 
to the dinner on our tables, to the roof over our heads, to the rainbow in the sky, all of that is God's provision over our life that he provides for us. So what does it look like to actually tangibly express this kind of prayer to God when we say give us today our daily bread? One way of tangibly doing this, practically doing this, is simply to pray before you eat. When you buy your $12 salad bowl from Sweetgreen, on the one hand, the person over the counter is the one that made it for you. On the other hand, when you're praying before you eat and you're saying, God, thank you for this food, you're also acknowledging that God is the one that provided for this for you. Now, let me just tell you how mind-blowing this simple prayer before you eat is. When you pray before you eat and you acknowledge that God is the one that provided this for you, you know what you're actually saying? What you're actually saying is this. I don't live in this material, physical world, a world with a lid tightly shut on it. Rather, I live in an open universe where the lid is removed and God, this transcendent being, reaches down his hand into this material world and provides for all I need. That's actually what you're doing when you pray simply before you eat and you're acknowledging that God is the one that provided this for you. Dear God, thank you for this food. And yet still, it still is a challenge. And let me, I think Alan Noble does a good job of explaining why also on the first page of your bulletin. And Noble says, the more divorced we are from the cultivation of crops and animals, and the more manufactured our food appears to us, the less we see it as a gift. When our meals come to us carefully wrapped in paper from hands wrapped in latex gloves that took ingredients from hermetically sealed plastic bags that were created in a sanitary factory, it is no easy uh, thing to see the hand of God at work providing for us. If I am thankful to the restaurant chain, I am still fundamentally accepting that the food before me is completely the result of the processes in this material world. But to thank God is to defy this logic. This is not a generic or impersonal sense of gratitude toward nature or the universe, but a specific thankfulness for a meal to a personal God whose common grace provides for us all. Practice regularly saying grace is a reminder that the way things appear to us as modern people is not the truth of being. Underneath all the packaging and production remains God's providence. In truth, the world and our being within it is far more contingent than we know. And all, of, all it takes is one hunger pang to remind us just how dependent we are on external things for our survival. All it takes is one black town in Midtown West where 75,000 people lose their electricity, where the subways completely stop, where JLo's concert at MSG is cut short. All it takes is one blackout to remind us that we are heavily dependent upon external things for our survival. We are no stronger than our next meal. And this prayer reminds us that God is the one that provides every daily good thing into our life. So bread is necessities, not luxuries. And when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are asking God to provide what we need, but we're also acknowledging that God is the one that provides all we need. Now secondly, the word daily. And this word daily is not easy to translate, and the reason why it's not easy to translate is because linguists refer to the word daily as a hapax legomenon. Now there's a phrase for you, hapax legomenon. A hapax legomenon is when a word only appears once. 
And this word daily only appears once in the Bible. And in fact, the only time it other appears is in the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. And so it's very difficult to translate what this word daily means because contextually we have nothing to compare it to. Furthermore, the uh, etymological problem with this word is that it's nowhere found in any other piece of Greek literature. The early church father Origen thought that this word daily was simply made up because no one really knows what this word means. For all we know, when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we could easily be saying, give us today our whole wheat bread, our banana bread, our monkey bread, our avocado toast. We have no idea what this word means. But traditionally speaking, the way way that this word has been translated is as the word daily. Not monthly, not yearly, but daily. Now, why has this been chosen above a lot of the other ways of defining the word? Well, let me read for us Proverbs 30, which is also found in the inside of your bulletin. And Proverbs 30 says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. You know, one of the most dangerous places you can be in life, one of the most unsafest, precarious places you can be in life is when things are going super, super well. Because when things are going very, very well in life, inevitably the first person we abandon and forget is God himself. And as I think about my own life and our church's life, our church is four and a half years old. For the first three years of our church's life, I made it a point to pray 40 minutes a day. 40 minutes a day I would pray for myself, our church, our family, 40 minutes a day. And the reason why I quantitatively tell you how much I prayed back then is because I don't pray that much anymore. And there are many good reasons why. Um, I'm tired. Uh, I stay home and watch uh, our daughter all day, which is exhausting. Forbes Magazine recently had an article about the top 10 hardest jobs in the world. Number nine, CEO. Number five, spiritual leader, pastor, priest, rabbi. You know what number one was? stay-at-home parent. Half our staff has number five and number one as a part of our daily rhythm of life. I am tired. I'm exhausted, and I feel like I'm running on fumes. And so inevitably, what gets kicked out of my routine is prayer. And so one of the things that has been challenging for me personally is a series because I'm reminded that I do have to practice what I preach. And I am also reminded that if I do not pray, our church Our church is gonna go down the toilet. My marriage is gonna go down the toilet. My family, but most of all, my personal relationship with God. And the reason why I say this is because prayer is our declaration of dependence on God. A prayer-filled life is a declaration of dependence on God, saying that we need you. A prayerless life is a declaration of independence. I don't really need you. So to be a prayerless Christian is an oxymoron. It is a paradox because you're saying that I believe in you, I have a relationship with you, but I don't really need you. And so not to pray is as stupid as it is foolish uh, for us not to do. Tim Challies once says, this is not in your bulletin, but he says, if you were to pray one hour a day, that seems like a lot. But that would only total 4% of your day. 
which seems like a little. The man with much prays little. The man with little prays much. And wealth breeds self-dependence. But when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are saying, God, we need you and we need to depend upon you. And perhaps there is never, no better story that depicts this than the story of the Israelites themselves, where, where they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And finally, they're liberated and set free. And they're on their journey to the promised land. But sandwiched between Egypt and the promised land, they are in the desert for 40 years. Hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness for 40 years where they have to depend upon God daily for food and water. And so what does he do? He sends them something from heaven to earth called manna, which is a type of bread. And for days one through six, this bread provided for all that they needed. However, there was a quick expiration date on this bread because on that day, the bread would expire. In fact, the people even put God to the test with this bread because some of them would take it and store it, but it would quickly spoil. And they realized that there was a quick expiration on this date except for the sixth day. On the sixth day, the manna that they received from God didn't spoil that day but it lasted until the seventh day so that on the seventh day, they didn't need to work, perform, or exercise, or do anything to earn that bread. They could just rest and receive that bread. On that day, they were given the day for tomorrow on the sixth day. You know what I find very interesting is that in the Aramaic version of the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say give us today our daily bread, but in the Aramaic version of the Lord's Prayer, which is the language that Jesus spoke, it says give us today, not our daily bread, but give us today tomorrow's bread. Isn't that interesting? I think one of the reasons why I like this definition even better than the word daily is because it harkens back to the wilderness experience where on the sixth day they were given the, day, the manna that day for tomorrow, a type of manna that came down from heaven to earth that doesn't spoil. And in John chapter six, Jesus himself says this, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Earlier I mentioned that bread was a necessity that we need to live, but even though it is a necessity for us to live, it only gives us enough to live for the day. But what Jesus is talking about is that he is a type of living bread that doesn't just sustain us for today, but this bread has the type of power and satisfaction and fulfillment that can make us live forever. He's a different type of necessity that we all need. And in John chapter six, he says, I will give this bread my life for the life of the world. And here we see the word give. He gladly gives himself away. And the most famous verse in the Bible is John chapter 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish or spoil or fade, but have eternal life. Now, when someone gives you something, 
You don't have to work for it, perform for it, or earn it. All you have to do is have arms, hands that are open, and gladly accept it. And it is no different with Jesus. You don't have to have more moral performance for him or a better score. All you have to do is have hands that are open, ready to receive and accept him. But why in the world would you want to? Well, I'll give you an example. Tony Campolo is a pastor, and he recalls the story of his younger version where he was at church, and on that day, they were about to partake in communion. And he remembers that sitting in front of him was a young woman who was sobbing incessantly with her shoulders bouncing up and down. And when the bread, the plate was being passed towards her, she waved the plate away because she did not want to partake of the bread. Antonio remembers that his father was sitting next to him and once his father got the bread, he tapped the woman in front of him and he said, young woman, this bread, this bread is for you. And Tony says he could almost see the burdens lifted off this young woman and she almost looked feathery after her dad said what he said. Now, I don't know what that young woman did that caused her to cry like this during the Lord's Supper. And to be honest with you, I don't know what you have done either. And perhaps you too feel like you are unworthy to participate in the Lord's Supper. But I do want to remind you that no matter what you have done, as much regret as you might have, as wicked, ugly, and as much as you might hate yourself, I do want you to know that this bread is for you. And I like the idea or the metaphor of bread because bread is breakable. And that is precisely what happened on the cross where Jesus spoils and he is expired on the cross so that we could live forever. Jesus says when he is tempted in the wilderness, uh, the devil says to him, turn these stones into bread. You need this to live. And after 40 days of fasting, who wouldn't? And yet he doesn't. Because Jesus says, uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As hungry as he was for this physical bread, his greater hunger and appetite was to do the will of his father. And what was the will of his father? For him to expire on the cross for all of our sins so that we would never have to. I like what one pastor said that when he said, when you partake of communion, though your feet touch the dust of the earth, your mouths taste the bread of heaven. When we partake of communion, we are not only looking back to what Jesus did, but we are looking forward to our eternal life and the future banqueting feast that lays uh, ahead for us. So maybe I can close with one application and that is this. In John chapter six, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that works to eternal life. Do not work for things that you think are necessities and luxuries, but work for the thing that you need the most, and that is Jesus himself. You cannot attach a U-Haul to the back of your coffin. You cannot take these things with you into the next life, but there are two things that you can take with you to the next life that I think John six is referring to. That is God, and that is other people. The, the best thing to invest in life is not real estate or stocks, it is other people. So my friends, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Let's pray together.
Father, I want to pray for uh, those that are in need in our community that you would provide for all of their needs, whether it is job, uh, money, uh, friendships, shelter, whatever whatever it might be, I am praying that you would provide for all of our needs. I am also praying that you would help us to acknowledge you and to depend upon you uh, for all that you do provide for us and that wealth, success, accomplishments would not breed self-dependence. But as we take a look at all that you have provided for us, it would actually drive us to our knees more, not less. In Jesus' name I pray.